Do you want more energy, better sleep, and better health? Who wouldn't? Get a free Scalar Light no obligation 15-day trial at scalarlight.com. Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, clinicians and founders who are driving the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I am passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before I introduce to t- before I introduce today's guest, rather, I'd like to ask everyone to follow the show. It's at Health Tech Hour on the socials, and please also follow the station, which is at UK Health Radio. So on today's show, we're speaking to Dr. Dan Bunston, the Chief Medical Officer from Push Doctor. And Push Doctor was the first ever platform to offer video consultations via smartphone with NHS trained doctors in the UK. Now Push Doctor is available across the UK. It's one of the leading digital healthcare providers in the UK. UK and has evolved into powering the backbone of NHS digital consultations, helping thousands of surgeries get online during the pandemic. Push Doctor has key partnerships with Well Pharmacy and a number of NHS staffing platforms to deliver key services digitally to both patients and clinicians. Push Doctor focuses primarily on mental health, minor illness and musculoskeletal issues, and it saw demand for its services rocket by nearly 100% week on week from the start of the pandemic. Prior to COVID, 99% of all GP appointments were face-to-face. That has now changed forever. And Push Doctor, in partnership with the NHS, are at the very forefront of this once-in-a-generation change in how we all access medical care. Dan is still a practicing GP, so I'm extremely interested to get his unique view on the services that Push Doctor offers and the value that it brings to patients and clinicians. So, Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Steve. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you much for the invite. Yeah, really good to be here. Good. Well, look, I ask everyone on the show, um, what has the mood been like in the camp at Push Doctor? You know, what, what's, what's the kind of feeling on, on the ground over there at the moment? So I think um, the mood remains as always. Our whole raise on Detra is to support uh, the NHS, to support primary care and look for innovative solutions. Um, it, it is about changing the world, but for the right reasons and to help that transformational piece that the NHS has always struggled to, uh, to try to achieve at large scale. So buoyant, I think, in a word, is, uh, is how we're feeling at Push Doctor. Great. Good. Well, we can get into all of the detail around all of that as we go through the show, because there's, there's a lot that I want to go through, because I know that you've got a lot to say, which is, which is great. So yeah. as regular listeners know, the show is in three parts. The first part is an origins part, more around how you came to be doing what you're doing at Push Doctor. And I know that you have a really interesting angle on, on that. The middle bit is all of the stuff that Push Doctor is doing right now to, as you say, change the world, but in a good way. And then the final piece is around what's next for Push Doctor and any other topics of the day that we, we have time to kind of kick around so um so starting off with you dan when you qualified as a doctor what were your what were your initial plans or thoughts as to what your career might might look like at that point so gosh that takes me about nearly 20 years which is uh, sickening to say but also useful <laughs> in equal measure so i am um, <clears throat> i started out life wanting to do ear nose and throat surgery so i started okay. out on a uh, on, on a surgical rotation 
Um, did that for a few years. Really enjoyed it, but um, it, it was the it was the diversity and challenges of general practice that sort of dragged me to to, to want to be a GP. Uh, finally qualified as a GP in two thousand and eight, and of course I've been there and enjoying it, uh, enjoying it ever since. Nearly fifteen years now. Okay, and what were those challenges or those? Um, what what was it that drew you to general practice as opposed to the surgery pathway? So I think what general practice affords you is the ability to be a GP, to work in primary care, to do the NHS uh, angle, but also it enables you to become more transformational across the system. Okay. <clears throat> and by that, I mean, you can be involved in, in, in the, the, the changes that come around from CCGs and then subsequently ICS, of course. Um, and I guess it allows you to more easily move into that system change, which I, which I really like and I really enjoy doing okay. things for the right reason. So do you mean that, that GPs, in, in, by the very definition of their role, have more access to or more ability to change things on the ground for, the, you know, for, for how patients experience healthcare on the ground? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and that's not certainly not to drive down the transformational changes that hospitals can make, but actually because we cover a much bigger system and just touch patients much more frequently, you know, 28 million consultations in March. It's, wow. it, it is, um, it, it's, it's a big, big impact that primary care can have and okay. a massive footprint. Okay. And when you say um, CCGs and ICSs, you mean clinical commissioning groups and now integrated care systems. So like as, as a GP, how, if you were trying to explain those to, you know, the man on the street or the woman on the street, how would you kind of explain what they do and why those things matter? So I think the, the important thing for healthcare is it's about how it's delivered. So at the moment, of course, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, is primary care closed? Is it open, et cetera? So primary care is definitely open. But of course, as far as patients are concerned, maybe the opportunity isn't there to access their GP because demand is so high. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of patients, actually primary care must be perceived as being closed because they can't get in. What CCGs do or clinical commissioning groups do is they look at how services are delivered the amount, the availability, where funding gets spent. Mm. So actually it gives you that opportunity to change around the delivery of services, put funds in the right place where things are needed. Mm. In theory, it doesn't always work quite like that, but that's the theory behind it, of course. Okay. And that's why presumably different areas of the country focus on different things and might have funding in different areas and prioritize different aspects of healthcare. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It allows you to do that regional change that's appropriate for your region. Okay, cool. And and so what I'm kind of interested in is when when you started. So when you when you qualified as a GP, um, because the technology from then to now has, I mean, it's like I mean, it's sort of night and day. It's been such a transformation. I'm interested to know what were your kind of impressions around digital technology even if digital technology was even a phrase at the point at which you sort of started what was around and what were your impressions of it so looking back i mean we were talking about telehealth effectively which is still used now but telehealth was literally probably a phone call maybe some email kind of access okay so a completely different beast as to where things are now like you said It feels like the transition between a cassette deck to a CD to an MP3 player. It's yeah. just been, it's been night and day. Honestly, when I first started with way before Push Doctor, telehealth didn't seem that exciting. It was talking to patients on the telephone. Mm. It didn't really seem like a really big difference for me. So, okay. yeah, it, it was one of the advents. I, I guess that's something you've experienced from your side, is it too, Steve? Yeah, I think the... Um... 
the area where we really focus is on um, enabling smartphones to test and assess for disease in real time. So PopDocs yeah. focused on um, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, but we've also adapted our platforms. We have a vision of, of an app-based reader system that can effectively allow lateral flow tests. For, for, there, are, there are thousands of different types of oh. lateral flow tests that exist that already existed before COVID, you know, mm. whether it's polio, malaria or any of these things. But their, their limitation is, is based in the fact that they are, by, by virtue of being so cheap, they are analog, they're bits of plastic. You know? yeah. So in order to scale that and for that to be an effective tool in the, in the armory of any healthcare system, you need a digitization platform that can capture those results in real time, that can store them, can transmit them, can analyze them, and then can provide that kind of follow-on pathway. So yeah, I mean, for, for, for us, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we've done without the, the, um, without the development of smartphone technology. You know, camera imaging, imaging analysis, you know, data connections, the cloud, we're, you know, we're cloud first, app mobile first. So, yeah, for us, the, the same thing. So when, when with, with telephone consultations, how popular were they with patients at the time? What, what, like, who, could you opt in for that? Or was it just, you know, some people were spoken to on the telephone? Like, how did that get sort of sorted out at a practice level as to who got a telephone consult, who didn't? Yeah, good question. So as, as I recall, it was um, it, it literally was a case of almost an afterthought where you would have your usual clinic and then bolted on at the end, you might have three or four telephone type consultations that would be there for people who would need advice, etc. Um, and things that could be dealt with over the phone. Um, but as you said, it was it was night and day, really. It, it did feel like almost like extras that you nudged into the end of a usual clinic. Right. And um when at what point do you remember the conversation evolving around how to start to deliver care within the practice appointments consultations like at what point did those convers- did those discussions start to shift more towards where we where we are today like oh hey there might be some use for this technology and like how did that happen at a practice level so I think that probably happened around about five years ago, the very early conversations. So Push Doctor, for example, uh, was founded in 2013 and right. went to market at that stage. And frankly, it was a rather cool reception because people hadn't heard of it. It wasn't really a popular thing. It wasn't really a you know an accepted form of communicating with patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so around about that sort of time, you realize, well, hold on, we're having a telephone consultation with patients. We can really enrich that by mm-hmm. having a video consultation. And from 2015, we started that more slow, organic growth towards recognizing you can very happily do a consultation as we're having a conversation here. Yeah. And, and what, really sorry, COVID catalyzed that massively. Sorry, it's got a question. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, I was just going to say, what were, at, at the time, because obviously I know that, that Push Doctor was the first to market in the UK, which is always a, it's always a tough sell, you know, if you're the first person trying to change the behavior of a kind of particularly where, you know, the, the, the incumbent is so big, if you like, you know, there are so many people doing things one way that have always done things that way. So trying to come in and change that, I can imagine was extremely difficult. So what were kind of some of the major challenges or obstacles at the time um, to this type of technology coming in and delivering these consults digitally? Because now, if you think about now, the idea that back in the day people thought this was in any way a bad idea for patients seems a bit crazy to me, right? Because mm. I'm guessing patients quite like digital consultations you know because they can see a doctor easily on their schedule and you know all that type of good stuff they don't have to go into the surgery take time off work or whatever it is but back in the day I'm guessing it was really different right I mean there must have been obstacles because you said it was kind of a a bit of a rough ride to begin with 
Yeah, so I think there was probably two things at play, really, Steve, if I'm honest. So first, it was a new technology that people were adopting and were, I guess, understandably concerned about how it's going to work. And secondarily, there were some people in the market, not pushed up for, of course, but acting in a certain way to disrupt the system. Okay. Kind of land grab kind of approach, which I think put much of primary care's nose out of joint. Mm. We'll all be very familiar with those, what what happened in that situation. It doesn't need me to delve into it now, but I think those two things at play provide a rather negative response, unfortunately. Again, understandably so. Yeah. And as as a GP, you individually, personally, what were your thoughts around the technology because presumably you were exposed to the technology before you ended up making the move to push doctor right so there was a period of time where you knew about the technology knew about the applications but hadn't sort of moved across so what were your initial impressions of it and how useful or not or what value it could add to clinicians and to patients so i think as you talked about it's the it's the flexibility and the efficiency of service so you know it enables me to consult from my home but also patients too so for probably the first time ever we were in a position where a gp had ultimate flexibility to work from home right really improve that work life balance which personally was great and I guess beyond that, we've been dealing with GP shortages for forever now. Okay. There's 6,000 GP short figure. I don't even know where that's at now. It could be you right. know, 18,000 for all I know at this stage. That level, not all areas are equal. So Birmingham mm. might be okay. Devon might not be okay. But right. using that digital and remote service really helps you to sort of flatten that sort of stuff out. I guess that's what you would have found with what you guys did as well, is it? Yeah. I mean, again, we, we, um, we're trying to work wherever we where, wherever we can we're in discussions as part of the nhs digital accelerator which we're very lucky yeah. to be to be on this year uh, to understand where particularly which areas would benefit from remote or out of clinic um uh, cardiovascular risk assessments delivered via app and our lateral flow tests so it's um it's really a question of where that need is based where actually that and, and, it, and it differs i mean but we're very very focused on primary care and community care so actually we we work with um uh one of our clinical advisors is not far away from you he works at, at a sand batch um so yeah um i've been up to warrington quite a few times as a result so um what um what we're like with with for for a patient at the time were there people that were more interested in this type of technology at the time were there any patients asking you can i do this i've heard that this exists do you offer it or is it not really amongst the patient sort of cohort that much i think it was so if, if you look at where push doctor started life we started out initially as an nhs offering but of course yeah. for various reasons it, it, it didn't take off because the market wasn't ready we then moved into a private kind of market offering private GP appointments and at the peak offered around about 800 appointments a day. Wow. So as we then gradually moved back into the NHS, word of mouth became apparent and patients really started asking for that service because they could see their friends and family mm. registered elsewhere, being able to easily access a GP, yeah. do it from the comfort of their own home, it being clinically safe and they got a really good service and thought, gosh, I, I could use that because as you touched on yourself, <clears throat> you consider a commuter, they could find a quiet place in the office, have a 20-minute consultation yep. with a GP or a 10-minute consultation with a GP. That will take half an hour of their day. Yep. Coming to see me in my surgery, you realistically have probably bombed your morning by the time you've waited 30 minutes because I'm running behind. So, you well, know, that, yeah. those things. 
Well, that's one of the things where one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing at PogTalk is so that you people can test themselves for these, yeah. have, have relatively routine blood tests without necessarily going in and needing a half day to have a venous blood draw and all that, and then go back and get the results and things like that. So that's where we, we come at these, these things too. Um, and I think to your point before around the, um, the almost like the equalization of supply and demand, we had um, Dr. Ahmed Sharabani from Locum's Nest on, he was the founder of Locum's Nest. And I didn't realize this until he came on the show, but, but within each CCG area, the, um, the clinicians from each area weren't automatically or are not automatically allowed to move between areas. There's a whole bunch of kind of new qualifications and new documentation that's required for people to move between certain physical areas. So even if there's an oversupply of nurses or doctors in one area of the country, they just can't, they can't drive down the road and go and fill a shift at the you know, place if it crosses a certain border, which I guess is one of the things that you just highlighted around Push Doctor is it sort of allows that equalization um, and people to kind of jump into the system and help wherever help is required. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it sounds um, sounds fabulous what you guys are doing and really well-timed where COVID's at and, and, and the lateral flow test and stuff. And yeah, it's, it is it is about collaborating and making the services right across systems. So as you said, we can have a GP in Newcastle consulting across the whole of England. So yeah. really, really supports it. Amazing piece. Yeah. And um, what at what point did you become aware of Push Doctor itself? And, and how did you make that transition to starting to collaborate with them or work with them in, in, in the way that you did? Um, I'm sorry, internet let me down massively. Could you repeat sure. that question? Yeah, so no, sure. so no, no problem. When did you become aware of Push Doctor? And, and how did that transition happen to kind of working with them? What, what was that sort of journey like? So um, I guess as we just been before, so I've been with Push for just over three years now. Mm-hmm. So I became very much aware uh, of what the market was looking like, um, that digital was going to become an increasing part. And of course, NHS England were talking about that sort of digital first primary care, even though it wasn't really called that back then. Mm. Obviously, there was other players in the market causing some fairly significant disruption. So I knew yeah. that digital and remote was, was on the horizon. And um, I think the shift was well-timed because I'd just come – coming towards the end of my chairmanship of, uh, of Warrington CCG. So okay. actually I was, I was at a natural finishing point in, in one part of my career to go into somewhere different. And it just okay. looked really, really exciting. Good. I guess you must have been in a similar position where you with where you got to with the uh, doc. Yeah. I mean, I've always been um, private, you know, I've not worked for the, I'm not a clinician. I've not worked for the NHS, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a good opportunity. I've always worked in sort of VC tech back companies. So I was pretty yeah. comfortable with the startup entrepreneurial type of lifestyle um, an opportunity and for me it was you know it was um it was when my my co-founder i've got two co-founders and they're more sort of scientific and, and clinical they sort of explained to me well that, that you could use your smartphone to run blood tests on using just a simple proprietary lateral flow in an app and that kind of blew me away you know the idea that i i i you know i will be the first user of our product for, for sure um you know i love keeping a track of my health i love having control over my own values i don't want to necessarily go and have to sit in a doctor's surgery for, you know, an hour and a half to try and get some blood test done around my lipid levels. You know, I would be an opt in to that. And then when you look into how that could benefit the wider healthcare system and how that can help with assessment of cardiovascular disease and prevention of cardiovascular disease and then type two diabetes and all the other things that we can then put onto the platform becomes pretty exciting um, as well as the ability for us to expand this app based app based digital platform to any any lateral flow so yeah I, I i understand that kind of um you know attraction to the entrepreneurial sort of high high growth 
thing. So um, was there something specific that, that Push Doctor had in terms of the value proposition for clinicians or patients that particularly attracted you as opposed to any other similar type services? Was there something about the way they were doing things that you thought, actually, this really connects with me? So I think the thing that attracted me with, with push, actually, and not to sound too twee, was, as we touched on before, around, you know, the patient safety aspect. You can create mm-hmm. something brilliant, but unless you can convey that message that, yes, it's safe to use, yes, we can be trusted, and yes, we're going to be innovative, that is the massive vibe I got from Push Doctor. Uh, and also, I guess, when I joined, it was private, but, of course, there were conversations about working with the NHS, and mm-hmm. I massively emphasise the word with. It's yeah. always been about collaboration, not competing. Yeah, that really is the bit that attracted me to it. I could clearly see that little jigsaw piece that Push Doctor is shaped like could fit into the puzzle I was trying to finish off. So right. yeah, it, it ticked a lot of boxes for me. Okay, and when you say when you say safety, I'm not sure what for, speak. That has a particular sort of meaning in in your world, doesn't it? So what what do you mean by that safety aspect or patient safety? So I I, I anticipate that when doctors especially in ccgs buy services like push doctor they will not quite assume but they will assume that the software and all those things are going to work perfectly the Mm -hmm. bit that's going to always let them down is the human on the end of the phone call okay sorry on the end of the video link gosh (laughs) you've gone back 20 years (laughs) yeah so the uh, the human on the end of the video so um that is the bit that my team spends so long making look right. We support our doctors. We really audit them all the time. Okay. Enable them to be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. That is the bit that we, we need to make sure looks right. And I guess certainly coming from where you come from, you must experience that same thing, do you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, we've, we've gone through the a similar thing or are going through a similar thing, you know, um, around what happens after someone does their test and gets their results and what does that sort of follow on pathway look like how do you create mm. a responsible platform that or a responsible pathway um, and it must be similar for you you know if, if someone has a, a, a an appointment when and the, the doctor thinks that they should have some referral or some next step how does that work in the world of virtual appointments I, I, I know now that you're very integrated with primary and secondary care so could how, how does that work so we, we do budget as a digital locum, but I always say it's digital locum plus uh, simply because what we will do is it's literally just like having a GP or a clinician in your surgery. So if a referral or blood test needs to happen, we and at the behest of the surgery we work with either task it back to the reception teams mm. and simply because we'll complete everything. But it's what happens next that for each CCG and indeed each practice is really quite a bespoke model. So okay. very often they say, look, just do the referral letter for us. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. We will then post it off for you. Blood test the same principle and requesting scans. So in many areas, when we're deeply integrated, our doctors can request or have the ability to request blood tests. Right. The blocker often is the local hospital that controls who okay. can request and who can't. Okay. So well, that, ultimately, that's... it's just like having a person in your surgery. Right. That's, that's great. And what, um, when you said you, you were sort of start when you joined Push Doctor, it was around the time where they were becoming more integrated and more collaborative with the NHS again. And what, was there something that triggered that? Or was that just a natural evolution? Or was there some moment there that, that, you know, both sides realized, hold on a second, maybe we should be collaborating here? Um, I, I think a bit of everything, really, where, I, as I said, we I say we, I wasn't around at the time, but Push Doctor tried to enter the NHS market initially. 
bit of a cool reception. So we then decided to go for a proof of concept through private. And actually we proved that doing up to a thousand appointments a day. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's definitely a demand for it. Yes, we can be safe delivering that. And here's how we do it. We started conversations with modality at that point in time. Yep. And of course they were the, one of the largest uh, GP super partnerships in the country. So yeah, there was the natural evolution there. And that initial conversation between push and modality was where it, it all started from effectively that, that partnership with NHS, right. more people heard about it, more people then started contacting us right. and off we went. Right. And, and that all massively predated COVID, didn't it? So that was like a Not couple yet. of years, before, two, three, four years before, surely? Or was so it- the initial conversations would have happened probably back end of 18 towards right. middle 19. Okay. Uh, Gosh, no, even before that, 17, 18, because right. we started modality in September 2018. Yes, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, very, very far before COVID. Right. COVID wasn't even a thing. No. And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember those days um, vaguely. Um, so let's move on to Push Doctor now. So um, how would you describe what Push Doctor does and why that matters for patients and clinicians? Um, I think Push Doctor enables patients to see a really high quality doctor from the comfort of their own home or wherever they need to be at a time that's convenient to them. Um, so for patients, there's real benefits of convenience and access. For systems, it enables them to help to iron out the gaps they have in service between different clinician types. And ultimately, we're now delivering the, which we'll probably go on to later, the, the additional clinician types of physio, pharmacist and mental health practitioner. Mm-hmm. So it enables us to offer a whole suite of services to help support patient care. Okay. And for the wider, for the, for the NHS or for the system itself, so to speak, if it's possible to talk about that, what are the benefits that Push Doctor brings to a clinical commissioning group or, you know, a, a GP's network like Modality or the, the broader picture? What are the benefits there? So we definitely will offer the flexibility of service. So by that, I mean, if you are without uh, GP or need in locums, of course, you can buy a bulk load of GP appointments from us. So there's that practical come on seat kind of approach of having the the primary care clinician there. Uh, The additional offering for your patients, so extended access, out of hours, convenience, digital access, which is really becoming relevant to NHS. So, of course, for systems... If you look at the press, lots of the evolving primary care networks now, even though there's money invested to recruit staff, they actually can't get adequately trained physios, pharmacists, mental health practitioners, paramedics, etc. So again, where you have under-doctored areas, yeah. I suspect broadly you will have under-clinitioned areas, if I yeah. coin a rather ridiculous phrase, probably because you just won't have the staff there. So we can really support those areas, the whole myriad of, uh, of, of yeah, staff members. I, so that's really interesting. I didn't really, I hadn't really twigged on that before, but I think that that's, that is really interesting. It's sort of, there's a, in certain physical areas of the country, geographic areas, there's a lack or an under-resource of certain clinicians. And I guess the timeline to train those clinicians and then try and get people physically in post in those areas is, mm-hmm. is very long and could be quite difficult depending upon where you're trying to put people. But there might be an oversupply of those people that can then still service the patients in that area through, through Push Doctor. It's exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. So I guess very, very broadly, and this isn't, a, this isn't an absolute truth, sure. you will tend to find that city areas tend to have reasonably good supply because they've got density of humans whereas i guess areas that are more geographically challenged or geographically diverse what do you want to call that beautiful areas like the lake district in devon of course that might have 
a more broad-based uh, population. It might be more difficult. I've picked on two areas there purely because of their geography, not, yeah. not, not anything Well, I know. no, like my, my parents live in the Peak District and, yeah. you know, it's quite remote, you know. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you're not walking down the local village high street bumping into a musculoskeletal expert and a mental health expert. You know, it's, it's probably not, not happening. Um, so normally at this point, I would kind of ask, um, I would ask you guys, well, who, whoever's on the show, what does the user experience? I think with with um, with services like Push Doctor, I think you've explained what the user sees really well, and I actually think you've done an amazing job at making that super simple. Which is that I log on, I sign up, I pick an appointment, I see a GP. Like I think that that's pretty serious, pr- pr- pretty simple, but 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 very cleverly simple. But what I'm kind of interested in, particularly seeing as you are a GP or, or were a GP, what does a GP see? What what is their user experience from the other side? of using a service like Push Doctor? So I guess to coin the phrase you've used a second ago about it being simple, it it hopefully is beautifully simple. So we don't want to complicate the screens. They will see a patient, but very importantly, because of how we are with our GP Connect, they have full access to your records. Mm -hmm. There obviously is need, uh, there's necessarily more complexity on the GP end. Yeah. That's been able to support you. Um, I think that's really important because what, that enables us to do is see our whole previous medical record or the previous blood tests that have happened and for us to be able to write directly to your GP record and also see what's happened in the past. So you're not working blind. Okay. Really powerful piece. So let's talk about that GP connect piece. Cause you've mentioned it a couple of times. I know that you are involved with GP connect. You almost power GP connect, but what is GP connect and why does that matter to patients, you know, on the ground? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, what GP Connect is, is a system that will enable providers to access your medical records for medical conditions. So its user point is, if you are a patient of us, Steve, then we can access your record, of course, with your consent to do that, to enable us to deliver, I would argue, better care for you. So you would see allergies, drugs, things that have happened in the past. Mm. Actually, it really does enable us to offer continuity of care for you too. I'm very much beyond that. So I will see you. And of course, then the next doctor that sees you will see what I've done for your care. Right. That's probably not quite so important if you come in, let's say, with a urinary tract infection, something that's very short term, treated and gone. But if you've got asthma or pain or anxiety and depression, it becomes hugely important enabling that access because you can see what's happened in the past mm-hmm. and then enable things that happen in the future. Okay. And what was happening before GP Connect? Because that those problems strike me as sort of systemic basically in the sense that I completely agree having access if you're going to be delivering clinical care to somebody having access to their clinical record probably sounds like a good thing you know Mm. generally speaking um so but what was happening before this 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 GP Connect sort of project and, and and sort of yeah strategy so um a lot of what we did and of course what the whole system has to do and indeed hospitals continue to do now will be based on trust and what patients are describing as their condition right which is fine but of course there's two things that come into play let's go cynical as the first one actually people do sometimes want to offer misdirection for mm. a certain personal gain that is the vast majority i must say but we've got to guard against that in healthcare the other point that more commonly does happen, and again, with absolute respect, people forget things that have happened. So, you yeah. know, even that simple question of when did you last open your bowel? You know, it's right. we ask that as a, come on, when did you last open your bowel kind of question? But right. actually, when you think about it yourself, it's not quite so easy to put together. Yeah, it's not, not something that, that I necessarily like. I don't necessarily write it in my journal, but, you know. 
Yeah, right? exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So if you've got a very complex history, you've tried four or five different medications or contraceptive pills, for example, you're not going to recall all of those. Mm. So that's where the record comes into play. Right. And presumably that goes back to what you were talking about, about delivering a, an extremely safe service. Yeah. Basically, because if if there's any mismatch or, you know, someone in good faith makes a clinical decision based on what they're being told, but the information that they're being told is wrong or misleading or whatever it happens to be, then that that can create a, a risk there, presumably. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say significant risk, actually. I mean, I think th- there's new guidance now uh, issued by NICE that actually you can't prescribe controlled medication without access to full medical records. Okay. So of course, there's a whole huge piece around that. So NHS patients, wow. that's not a big issue for. But if you're a private patient and your GP doesn't have access to your records. And actually you've got a bit of a bit of a problem. And it's, it's, it's probably bigger than it sounds that because it, it's a, it's a vast array of drugs. That it will, it, what, it will, what, what comes it? under control medication, broadly speaking? Of course, all the big things like your, you know, your morphines and, uh, and, and those sort of things, but actually the lower level things. So things like codeine or cocodamol will okay. also fit into that, that, that packet too. They're probably more of the things that you will be considering, but actually that's a much more broad audience of people that you would normally mm. prescribe to. Yeah, that's that's massive. And so GP Connect, were, were you? Is it true that you you Push Doctor is sort of one of the key players within that's driving GP Connect, or what's your role in it? So I think it's pretty significant, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I, I've got to be careful not to overplay Push Doctor's role and NHSD Stroke X, but sure. of course it, it, it's their, it's their initiative. But of course we are one of the uh, further types to, to utilize that service. So. Right. I think it's a collaborative piece between the two to make things look absolutely right. So yeah, we've been given a great opportunity to do that and we've absolutely grasped it with both hands. Okay. And um, will everyone generally be required to integrate in some way with GP Connect? Do do you think, is it sort of now these are all, this is almost table stakes, if you like, if you want to deliver the care similar to to what the, the level that Push Doctor delivers? Um, I'm not absolutely sure what the plans are. You, you could imagine that actually anybody in this space would need to be able to have the joined up records. I mean, yeah, I, I, that made that I, like, I don't, it's all, I, in a weird way. This is one of those things that often happens on the show. I think stuff had already happened that yeah. suddenly it turns out hadn't happened. <laughs> and I no. suddenly find out that it hadn't happened and now I'm sort of trying to catch up. So yeah, I, I would completely agree that it makes sense, particularly if we're talking, like you said, about mental health. Or anything yeah. where there's an element of subjectivity sometimes or, a, or, or a, you know, having to ask someone how they feel and how they felt and certain going back in a history. I think it sounds critical to me that, that that would happen. I think there is that misconception, actually, with with the, I can say the public, but anybody who's not deeply involved in healthcare, that actually the orthopedic surgeon at the hospital knows exactly what's happened at the gp end yeah they don't anticipate that there's, there's a really big gap mm-hmm. and you know waiting for letters to come through etc it feels like a 14 steps back we're not we didn't even get onto emailing those it's it's like you're waiting for a letter to come through that we then scan on after a fax machine it's yeah it isn't that long ago since matt hancock banned all bleeps and fax machines from hospitals you know it's I, it's yeah, yeah. Well, so we, we i was having conversations we're, we're trying to um Established when we go out into the community and we we roll out PocDoc and provide assessment on the ground assessment, so cardiovascular assessment stuff that can't happen in surgeries because of all of the the COVID stuff that mm. we can come onto. You know, to, how does that information, those those assessments, those results, how do they get passed back to that person's GP surgery? So we yeah. were talking to our clinical advisors, our GP advisors about that, and they were like, "Look, there's you know you can integrate with the 
with emis and things like that or you know to be honest we still get written letters so you know there's a pretty wide range of when you say integration there's a pretty big spectrum about what what's still kind of in place so yeah i i can i can understand that yeah no, i mean and to your point about the assessments i'm fascinated about those that, that whole thing that you're talking about there because that's going to be the next big thing i think the management of long-term conditions and how we certainly on the back of covid there will be Lots of people, I think, who will either by choice have, I say neglected, but purposefully put off their care because of worry about COVID. And actually, that's I think that's why primary care now is is experiencing such huge demand because there's that pent up energy of saying, right, my asthma's not great, we're gonna have to go and get this sorted out now. Understandably yeah. so. Yeah. Five million patients on a on an NHS waiting list currently for for secondary care, which is just you know, 10% of the population. Astonishing, yes. isn't it? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think it's sort of all hands to the pumps, which is certainly where, you know, we, we, we're going to try and play our little tiny, tiny piece of it for sure. Um, so without wishing to try and kind of do everything through a pre-COVID, post-COVID lens, which yeah. seems to be what everyone does now, I think it, which is kind of impossible. I'm going to do, I'm going to do just that. But what, <laughs> before COVID, so like Feb 2020, to you know a few weeks later or a month later when you saw demand obviously shoot through the roof what were the changes that actually happened on the ground that that sort of led to that huge demand spike obviously i think the patient changes were obvious but what was happening behind the scenes with clinicians and gps and what was what was being communicated out to them and and how did push doctor sort of move at that time or what did what did they do to sort of be able to 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 increase the level of service that they provided to such a to such an extent so i think it was all catalyzed by the nhs england's decision which was absolutely right at that time to do total triage so to protect patients anybody who was going to be seen you had to be absolutely sure that they needed to be seen and i think that's where the video and the remote really stepped in to fill a gap so your options there were either seeing a patient face to face which was high risk frankly for all concerned having to bring somebody down telephone on the other side which yes definitely has its place but of course lacks what we have now with the video consultation and of course, in that middle ground, you've got that video, you're allowed to see patients, you can access their records, you can see what they look like, you can assess them. And actually, very importantly, you've got that human interaction of seeing somebody being sat there, which is quite different. Um, so I think total triage catalyzed it for us. Mm. And of course, then the need became really apparent. And then when people, you know, tried it, they realized, gosh, that's, uh, that, that really does work for us. And I guess you must have had a similar thing with where you guys are up to. Yeah, we we um we realised quite early on in the COVID. Um, well, we were always we we always had a view that that by definite by by being app based, cloud based, we were in the self testing, ergo remote testing. That was where we felt like our our big value add was and and mm-hmm. is. Um, we also now, as an evolution, have have, have, have discovered that there will be um. And uh, there's an improvement to efficiencies and cost savings that we can deliver if we were to do this in surgery instead of venous blood draws in certain circumstances. If you need a lab test, you always need a lab test. Certainly not trying to, you know, communicate that we're a replacement for a lab test. The things that we can test, we can test for, but otherwise you're going to need a lab test for sure. Um, but we, 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 we adapt. We realized that within... Um, we always had the vision, as I said, that the platform would be able to integrate other tests. So the tests that we develop as well as other pre-existing tests. And so we, um, we actually very quickly, um, realized that rapid testing was going to be a thing 
for COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. Um, even before, but this was back in April 2020, we, we, re- we, we really realized that, that lateral flow-based testing, we didn't even know there would be an antigen test at this point. This was really just when it was just antibodies. Um, and we, we adapted our technology thanks to some UK government backing. We, we won two Innovate UK grants to do it. So we adapted our technology, found commercial partners that were producing um, uh, COVID-19 lateral flow tests, and then just rolled out a workplace screening solution. So we wanted, we, I think we were the first digital workplace screening solution wow, in the UK. And then we, we also, and that sort of culminated in a, a trial at Edinburgh airport back in March where we were, it was the first ever UK trial of um, using lateral flow tests on departing passengers. And so um, that, that, so that was, that was our sort of COVID experience, which was very different to a lot of people's, but it was certainly very instructive um, and, and understanding, you know, this total triage piece, what can, and, and I think, I don't know about you, but I think some of those things, not all of it will stay, but there will be certain things that now effectively have to be done out of the surgery and should be done out of the surgery. And it's mm. about understanding that what those are and how best to deliver is on the ground. Cause it, we're obviously going back to a place where people will be seen by GPs. So what will go back to the surgery and what won't, I think is really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, we'll not talk about it too much because it's just been very politically announced now. And I, yeah. I, on NHS Confederation's uh, right. uh, PC and director board. So we've had a lot of conversations around that there, but yeah, the, the, the sort of hint and the undertone of that, the SOP to make people go back to surgeries I will go and say that's ill-founded. That letter, the, the 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 whole the whole implication around it is to have just lost all we've gained in the last twelve yeah. months. There's been so much dreadful stuff in the last twelve months. We need to use that as a catalyst to be able to you know get some good stuff out of it too. Well, you can't. There's no I, look. It's a once in a generation change. Obviously forced, but you know mm. sometimes things get forced. There's no way you can't put the, the cat's not going back in the bag. The genie's not going back in the bottle. You know, you, you're, you're 5 million people in secondary care. You know, God knows what the primary care waiting lists are. You know, there's such a huge backlog. Nothing, you can't even address that unless you put digital provision of care as a pretty central plank of whatever you're trying to do. It's not the sole plank. No one's trying to say no one should ever see a GP again. And no one should see a person again. That's not what we're saying. But you have to have a digital mindset. Yeah. At, at this point yeah. otherwise you don't have the scalability right you you you, you know you're going to have like to, just to take a case in point people need to see a mental health specialist in an area where there aren't any mental health specialists what are you going to do i mean what are they going to i don't understand how you solve that and at the same time you have yourselves and whoever else you know there are lots of very specific mental health platforms that we've had on the show like Cooth and a number of others that work with the nhs saying hey we can help hey we can help hey we can help i mean why wouldn't you want them to help i mean it sort of seems somewhat logical to me yeah yeah no i i i'd agree i'd agree absolutely right so yeah so um what does i know that you've got some other corporate partnerships like with well pharmacy and and some other workforce providers so how how have you sort of blended this private nhs sort of model or, or what's your your philosophy philosophy sorry um about that in the business so we've always wanted to pair with partners who do things really well. So recognizing that because of the wavelength, we can't, nor do we have the desire to build everything absolutely ourselves. Um, we have paired with Well Pharmacy, a, a national provider of pharmacies, They're really massive. well respected. Yeah, absolutely huge to deliver our pharmacists and support with the um, additional roles, reimbursement schemes that's come in from NHS England. 
And of course, also with Pure Physiotherapy. So Pure are another national provider of physio, really high quality, superb governance. So actually, we dovetail really well in those partnerships where we can very quickly enable a physio and a pharmacist to be delivered. And we know the service is safe. And actually, the relationship, the, the whole ethos behind all three of those teams is just about really high quality delivery. Right. And do they and they are... And th- those partnerships operate. So, for example, if I come to Push Doctor and I have an appointment and I need a, a prescription for a pharmacy or I need to see a pharmacist, or if the diagnosis is that I need to see a physio, effectively what we're saying is that's like seamless. That sort of delivery of care is somewhat seamless because of those partnerships. Yeah, exactly right. So ultimately what we have for the, and you've, you've raised it, which is a great point around the push doctor triage or the, the signposting model. As a patient, you will access that. You will fill in the triage piece and it will signpost you and get you in front of the right clinician at the right time. So, you know, as a young bloke with left shoulder pain, you probably don't need to see me as a GP. You definitely need to see a physio and they will get you. So Pure's team will get you sorted out, diagnosed and start your treatment probably day two after your shoulder pain started. Compare that to the current system, wait a week or two to see Dan in his surgery. I then refer you to physio and it takes 12 weeks. And I guess parallels to what you guys are doing from your end. Yeah, I think just on a personal level, that was always one of the things where, you know, I've done a lot of sports in my life, you know, triathlons and all sorts of other silly things. And so, you know, there were certain moments where I knew I had to see a physio, but in order to get to that point, I had to go through my GP, which was quite difficult, basically, just to get the appointment. And then mm-hmm. sort of you go in and he says, what happened? I was running and my thing, my leg starts hurting. I've got my hip hurts. Oh, okay. Well, off you go to see the physio. And it's sort of I totally understand why what you've got there is just for, for, for certain people is, or certain uses is, is really a massive, massive improvement user experience wise. And also, it, and also like there's a concept where the, you know, you qualified as a GP to people, a certain qualifications should be dealing with the most relevant thing for that qualification, right? A, a G, a, so someone sitting in front of a GP saying, I was playing rugby, now my shoulder hurts probably that GP's time may be better spent trying to speak to someone else with a more complicated problem, potentially. I think that's it. I mean, the old phrase of people working at the top of their license. So that was what I, I was think... searching for. That was the phrase I was trying to, but I, yeah. You... Yeah, I saw you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's exactly right. And that, that's, that's the way it should be. And that's, that, that's not to say that, you know, we, we can't do things better, but it, it does enable us then to focus on the patients that need to see me yeah. that a physio can't deal with. And let's, let's be frank, the physio can deal with a load of stuff and probably in a different way than me and probably better than me. Yeah. But actually then they can't deal with other things. So it is about getting patients in front of the right person at the right time. Yeah. And, and interestingly, I think this opens up that whole piece around uh, inequalities too, where mm. actually that's where, and I guess both of our companies and both of the things that we deliver can help really massively with inequalities. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. Sorry, so, I mean, for me, COVID certainly made inequalities much worse. Yeah. And I do recognize that digital, yes, probably will create inequalities that aren't there now, but it isn't just about digital working alone to solve inequalities. It's about a piece of a puzzle mm-hmm. that sorts out some problems over here. And then of course we work with you guys to do it in a slightly different way. Actually, when you've got the whole picture, the whole rainbow, brilliant. Yeah, inequalities no, and, minimized. yeah exactly. And, and I don't think, so I certainly don't hope, hope no one's saying suddenly we need to, it, it should be a blended solution. Ultimately. Mm, exactly. We should take yeah. the best of what's happened in the last 12 months and we should incorporate it with the best of what was there before. Um, and I think any, anyone that lurches too far one way or too far the other sort of missed 
the opportunity to just this this is just such a golden opportunity to make some real changes stick in the system you know from what we've learned that could really really help deliver care that's that's my view yeah, no, I'd agree. And we, we're, um, we're currently uh, trialling some pods, which are like health okay. pods, effectively, down in, down in Hounslow. Uh, they've put in some orders and they're, they're sort of really innovatively thinking at present. And actually, some of the conversations we've just had now has ignited my head to think, my God, I need to pick up a conversation with Steve later, because there's a really strong collaborative piece that I think both organisations can do. Supports patient care, gets long-term conditions managed better, really feeds back into the system. Really feel excited about that. Good. Great. Well, look, I'm up for that always. And what, um, what quickly before we go, what do the next 12 months look like for Push Doctor? What do you think is on the horizon? So I think the next 12 months will be about really focusing on our NHS offering, uh, supporting uh, primary care networks and their ambition for additional roles reimbursement. And that whole piece around getting the, the uh, patients in front of the right clinician at the right time to really streamline their care, minimise weights and get better quicker. Ultimately, that's the, that's the plan for us over the next 12 months. Great. Well, look, I wish Push Doctor and you all the best. Um, certainly exciting times. I love the integration and the level of collaboration that you have with the NHS, um, you know, fighting the good fight. So thank you very much for coming on the show, Dan. And thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks, Steve. Hi. This is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio.